Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today we are joined by Mark Peterson, Assistant Commissioner of the Site Remediation and Waste Management Program. This program administers the laws and regulations concerning contaminated sites, recycling, and the disposal of solid wastes in the state. And it has a very large portfolio given New Jersey's long industrial history. There are many places around the state that have been contaminated as a result of that activity that require cleanup so that, number one, our environment can be healthier and cleaner, and number two, so that those sites can be returned to productive use. So, Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Bob. Mark, tell us a little bit about site remediation and waste management DEP. What are the overall functions of the program? Well, basically, the program is broken into two main components. The cleanup of contaminated sites, which deals with cleanups done by state funding through publicly funded actions, and other cleanups that are done by responsible entities, mainly through the Licensed Site Remediation Professional Program. Now, the other component is the solid waste component. Their job is basically to ensure that any waste that is generated in any residential house or any structure leaves the road, is managed properly, is properly disposed of, and done in a safe environmental fashion. We also, in that program, oversee and encourage and stimulate recycling within the state of New Jersey, which is a priority for this state, greater than many other states within the nation. So this is a, it's a really big job here at DEP because although we're one of the smaller states in the union, as I mentioned a minute ago, we were really the first to really industrialize. We're going all the way back to when Alexander Hamilton came to New Jersey, saw the Great Falls in Patterson, and identified that area of the state as a prime location for the start of an industrial economy here in the United States. So there's a lot of legacy pollution and contamination that your program area has been dealing with for for many, many years. Could you give us a sense of kind of the scope of what we are facing here in New Jersey because of that legacy? Well, it's interesting. Currently, we have around 14,000 known contaminated sites that are being remediated. But I think it's important to note that prior to the initiation of the Site Remediation Reform Act in 2009, there were over 20,000 contaminated sites actively being addressed or, in some instances, not being addressed. The department and, quite honestly, the staff and the general public identified that this legacy of contaminated sites were languishing within the state. There were exposures that were occurring. And then in the advent of that, the Site Remediation Reform Act was put into place which basically created the Licensed Site Remediation Professional Program and put an affirmative obligation on responsible parties to clean up their contaminated sites, to evaluate whether receptors are being impacted early on in the process, 
and to ensure that the remediations were done without delays that were inherent from the department's involvement in the past. So that piece of legislation really represented a turning point in the way the state was dealing with its legacy of industrial contamination and pollution, didn't it? And you mentioned the uh, LSRP program, Licensed Site Remediation Professional Program, which has made a huge difference in the state's ability to direct the cleanup of these sites, hasn't it? Absolutely. It's pretty exciting what we've done here in the state. Again, we've been able to take, with the same amount of staff, oversee basically twice the amount of cleanups being conducted in the state. And what, what the LSRP program embodied, I think, is important to understand. Uh, prior to the Site Remediation Reform Act, environmental professionals did work in the state and there really was no individual accountability on submissions that they made. The sole responsibility laid with the responsible entities. So reports and work was done, and it was not always done to the highest standard. So we realized that there, there needed to be a way to put a greater accountability on the environmental professionals operating in the state. So with the advent of the Site Remediation Reform Act, it created the LSRP program, which licensed individuals, not companies. These people take their jobs very seriously, those that are licensed site remediation professionals. They so they're independent of a company, for instance. A company would hire them to oversee the cleanup? Absolutely. Um, and also, it's their livelihood. If they make a mistake, they individually are licensed. And if the mistake is that egregious, they can lose their license and not practice in the state. So that means they would lose their livelihood in this state as well. And their children, they would also lose their inheritance, yeah. quite honestly. What, what was neat about it, though, is it increased the quality of the documents that are coming in. It put the burden of trying to make sure that everything was addressed in accordance with our statutes, regulations, and guidance documents on the, the shoulders of the LSRP, whether he or she was doing the work for a responsible party or a non-responsible party. It increased that the standard and quality of the documents submitted and the investigation was done was done in a more comprehensive and protective fashion. So how many LSRPs do we have in the state? Um, well, we're probably over 860 LSRPs as of today. The LSRPs, and it's important to note, are not overseen by the department. They're overseen by the LSRP board, which is an individual group of 13 members, including myself, who chairs the board, that oversees the conduct of those LSRPs. The department retained through the statute, though, the authority to oversee the cleanups and the technical merits of the work that's being done. And that was not delegated to the LSRPs and is retained by the department. I think another interesting thing about the LSRP program is you've got these 600 plus people who essentially are working for the people of the state of New Jersey, but they're not costing the taxpayers anything because their fees are paid for by the responsible party or whatever party is, is conducting the cleanup. Is that correct? Absolutely. And what's exciting about it, again, because of the licenses, it increases the quality of the investigations being done and the accountability of the work that's being done. And it's not, the burden doesn't fall as much onto the department to find that the, someone has made a mistake but rather to ensure that the work they're doing is consistent with our laws, regulations, and statutes. So you mentioned that at the beginning of the LSRP program, which was about eight years ago by the time it got up and running, 
There were 20,000 contaminated sites. Now we're down to 14,000. So okay. over the past eight years, they've cleaned up 6,000 sites? Oh, no, many more than that. Both those numbers that I gave you were static at that time. The amount of cases that have been cleaned up has basically doubled since the inception of the LSRP program. At the end of a cleanup, there's a document that is issued by the LSRP, which is analogous to a no further action determination the department would have issued, and it's called a response action outcome. What milestone that has been achieved this year, which is pretty darn impressive, is over 10,000 response action outcomes have been closed out on these cases since the advent of the Site Remediation Reform Act. What's interesting also is we've done a little bit of statistical analysis to see is how are we doing before the program and how are we doing after the program. And what we were able to find out is twice as many cases are being closed out after the Site Remediation Reform Act came into play. And then people, I had heard some general comments that, well, you're just dealing with the easy cases, the simple ones, not the complex cases. So we said, well, let's look to see if we can do an analysis and look to see what was easy versus complex before and after the program. And what we were able to determine was prior to the Site Remediation Reform Act, about 27% of the cases that were closed out were complex. After the Site Remediation reform program came into play, over 30% are being closed out. It's important to understand when I say 30%, that's 30% of twice as many cases. Hmm. So twice as many cases are closed out, more complex cases are closed out. And I think one of the most important things that I focused on when I came back to the program was the receptors and potential impacts to humans have been reduced and identified early in the process. So this makes a huge difference for human health in the neighborhoods and areas where these sites are, are located. Oh, absolutely. It also allows these areas that have had these legacy of contaminated sites that pose a burden beyond the health effects on the economics of the community to be better staged for redevelopment, reuse whether it be done for something from recreational uses to commercial to residential, it allows these to be put back onto the tax rolls of those communities in the state. And I think that that point cannot be emphasized enough because when you have a piece of land that was formerly productive but is not being used because of contamination on the site, that isn't just an eyesore in the neighborhood or a, a blight on the community. It's, it's also robbing that community of economic potential. And, you know, we talk a lot in this state about our property taxes. You know, when you can return sites to productive use that start generating property tax revenue, that helps that entire community in terms of helping hold the line on property tax increases or perhaps even in some cases hold it absolutely flat or maybe even in a few cases lower it. <laughs> You're absolutely correct, Bob. Uh, one thing that, that also I think has to be said is many of those communities that have had these properties that have languished there, they feel that they've been forgotten also, mm -hmm. the people that live in the areas. And it's amazing to see what the effects sometimes remediation and redevelopment of these sites can do to a community, to see that someone cares about them beyond the economic benefits to the locality, 
but also that there's others that care about their community and it gives them value in their community, increases the quality of life. And creates jobs. We've seen, and we've seen some great examples of this. Just a few months ago, the commissioner and you and others were down in Haddonfield at a, an incredible project that took a site that had been contaminated that was cleaned up through your program area. And the redevelopment that's going on in that site has been such a spark for the entire community. Absolutely. That focuses a lot on what we do as a, as a part within the program. It's called Brownfields Redevelopment to put these underutilized contaminated sites back to reuse. It's interesting, last week we just met down in Camden, part of the Camden Collaborative Initiative, which is doing the same thing, but it's not turning it back to an economic, but rather it's opening up the waterfront, the Harrison Avenue landfill, it's opening up the waterfront to the community. It's allowing them to be able to take of the beautiful vistas that they have, of the Philadelphia skyline, the Delaware River. In areas, these sites, because of the industrial legacy and because of the location that was needed for that industrial legacy, now sometimes act as barriers to the community. Mm. So by opening up, in this case, turning it into a park with active fishing ponds, other recreational areas, it's going to allow the community to connect back to this beautiful Delaware River, a true gem within the state. And I think it's important to remember that when you create a park or something, it may not have a direct economic benefit, but it's got huge indirect economic benefit because you have made that community a more desirable place to live and a more desirable place to establish perhaps your business. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's a win-win-win. It sure is. Triple win, which is great. Let's move off that a little bit and talk about some of the other responsibilities that your program area has. Talked about solid waste disposal. How does that work? What are your roles in that area? Well, interesting. With my solid waste program, they basically issue all of the permits for solid waste landfills, whether they be in modifications, transfer stations. They also work with the Attorney General's office in what we know as the A901 program which deals with ensuring that elements of organized crime are not in the solid waste industry. It's been in effect for a while, and it's been a very effective program. It's one that we administer and collaborate with some of our other states. Uh, one of the things that's really exciting that we have going on is the recycling program. It's interesting, however much anyone within the state may know that they have all the answers to recycling, there's always new things coming out, new innovative ways to recycle, to reduce the burdens on our landfills, and to sometimes turn them back to an economic benefit. Mm. Currently, New Jersey has a goal of municipal solid waste recycling of 50%. We are approximately at 40 to 43% of that number. And have been stuck there for a while. We've been stuck there for a while. One of the new innovations, which I know, Bob, you're aware of, is we have gone to engage in a company known as Recycle Coach to provide an app out for individuals, counties, towns to provide information on what can be recycled, how it can be recycled, when it can be recycled. This app is going to basically answer a lot of those questions that people have when they're walking out to their garbage can and they want to throw something in and they want to know if it can be recycled. They'll be able to go to an app and get that answer. Or they have that television that's down in their basement and they don't know what to do with it. 
How do I recycle it? Where do I recycle it? Who's going to recycle it? It'll give information to help those individuals answer those questions. And that's hugely important because I think certainly in discussions that I've had with people around the state, and I suspect you've found the same thing, most people want to recycle. Recycling has become part of an individual ethos, I think, in this state. But it's often confusing about what can and cannot be recycled. And one of the problems I know that the folks who process recycling have is contamination of the recycling stream. You know, there are things in there that people don't necessarily know. The plastic bags you bring your groceries home from the grocery store shouldn't be recycled in with your regular recycling because that kind of jams up the machinery that's processing the goods. So this Recycle Coach app, which DEP is making available to every single municipality in the state at no cost to those municipalities, and individuals will be able to download that app to their smartphone, and it'll be specific to their town, telling them what you can recycle, what you can't recycle, when you might have electronic recycling pickup days, when your pickup days are, if they've been adjusted because of a holiday, all that information is going to be there. So I think when people have that information, it's going to help us get closer to and perhaps even surpass that 50% goal. That is our goal, Bob. Yeah, and it's a, I think it's a great app. I've seen it, and already we have about 100 towns, I think, in the state that are using it. Now all 565 municipalities will be able to use it at no cost to their local citizens. And that'll be, I think, a huge boon to uh, over, overall recycling efforts. Now, Mark, you mentioned earlier that you had come to the Site Remediation and Waste Management Program. Tell us a little bit about your background here at DEP. Well, when I said I came to the site remediation program, it wasn't really I came, it was I returned. Mm. I've been with the department for over 30 years, 31 possibly, yeah, maybe 32. I've worked in various capacities through the DEP. Right prior to coming back to the site remediation program, I spent three years over in the land use program. It was interesting, uh, I have to say it was probably one of the greatest challenges of my career because I didn't know land use. I didn't know the staff, I didn't know the laws, I didn't know the statutes. But I had an amazing team over there, well, not as amazing as the site remediation program, but close, that brought me up to speed and helped me learn and understand some of the challenges that that occur in land use within the state of New Jersey. Uh, Interesting enough, going off a little script, during my time at land use, Superstorm Sandy impacted Hmm. the state. And I thought that there would be a lot of land use concerns. Interesting enough, the other side of my current program was one that a lot of focus came on. Shortly after the event and the devastation that occurred along our shorelines, the commissioner made a statement, get the trash off the streets. So my solid waste program, working with our local partners and counties, commenced getting the material off of the streets to get them to temporary disposal areas to stage the material for proper and ultimate disposal or recycling. What was important about that is that gave people, and I truly believe this, that were in these impacted areas hope. Hmm. It gave them the belief that recovery was going to happen, and in fact it did. I have to admit although it was challenging during those periods of time, both for the solid waste program and the land use program, it was probably one of the most rewarding events that it could because so many people ultimately were helped by our actions. And with our actions, we were able to give people hope and recovery. 
I think it's worth pointing out that the amount of debris that was created by Superstorm Sandy was enormous in, in the millions of cubic yards of debris and all sorts of debris. I mean, building materials, household goods, vegetative goods, sand, <laughs> you know, it, and, and having those temporary disposal areas ensured that all of this stuff wasn't just eventually mixed together and dumped in one big pile that could create problems for literally decades gave you a chance to get the streets clean so people could start with the recovery, but also the opportunity to make sure that everything that was removed, all of that debris, ended up in places where it was supposed to be. Right, and it was properly managed and went to those designated areas that we permitted, where it also allowed and ensured that for all of the costs that were borne by the state, an ability to recover eligible costs through FEMA reimbursement. And that was critical. At the time the event happens, no one thinks about recovering the money. But the reality is, is the burden it puts on the state and local communities is extensive. And to be able to ensure that recovery can be done in a consistent and efficient way is a wonderful gift that we gave and were able to provide to the citizens of the state. Not just the citizens of our state. When Texas was ravaged by hurricanes uh, this past summer, one of the first calls they made was to New Jersey to find how we had handled uh, our debris disposal issues. And I happened to sit in on at least one of the calls talking with the state officials in Texas shortly after the hurricane had passed down there. And they were so grateful for the information that our folks were able to provide them, not just on the phone, but all of the other resources that we've developed that have helped the folks in the state of Texas and, and will help people elsewhere in the future because I don't think we've seen the end of natural disasters. Uh, sadly enough, I have to agree with you on that, Bob. So let me ask you just to sum up. Now, you've been Assistant Commissioner of Site Remediation and Waste Management for the past how many years? Uh, assistant Commissioner, I would say four and a half years. Four and a half years. So what do you consider a really good day for you as Assistant Commissioner? A really good day, uh, it's embodied on my door. On my door I have written, it's all good. Every day to me is a good day. Interesting enough, I love this job, I love the staff I work with. I feel that we make a difference in the state. I think our goals, it's interesting, I've always set my goals very low because I realize if I achieve them, I can get much more benefits from what I do. So for an example, if I can help one person, if my goal is to achieve that, usually by the time you've helped one person, you'll find out that you just helped 50 people. Yeah. Part of that was sort of uh, apparent in Sandy, but also is, is with members of my staff. They embody the same thing. They're dedicated public servants. They will go out and give of their time, their efforts, to ultimately benefit one person. But again, if you think about it on a contaminated site, if you remediate one site and you benefit that, you've affected a community in some instances, you've affected the socioeconomic area of that community, and you've left a legacy that you can be proud of down the road and look at. So I would have to say every day is a great day, and I look forward to this job every day I come in. It's a ripple effect, really, isn't it? You know, you cast that one stone into the pond, you know, maybe that one site, whether it's contaminated water or whatever, and that has a ripple effect that affects many, many more people. Absolutely, and it's exciting to see it. 
I mean, many of the people within my program, we've all been dedicated public servants. As I said earlier, I've been here for over 30 years. Many of the people that work for me have taken the same. We've all wanted to give back to the state that we hold so dear and love so well. So what do you see the future of your program area? What do you see ahead? Well, it's interesting. I'm excited about where we've gone or where we've come, but there is a lot more to be done. Our program, the site remediation program, never never when you create something is it perfect. Mm. So we're going to continue to improve our program. I think what's critical to the effectiveness of our program, and I should have said this earlier, is the presence of all of our stakeholders. We've engaged multiple stakeholders to evaluate, improve, and enhance the program within the state. So I see the future continuing on that path, engaging with our stakeholders on what did we get right, what did we get wrong, what did we not think of, and how can we improve it. Um, I think that goes for whether it's the site remediation program or whether it's in our solid waste component. There's always opportunities to improve, and I still think that to be the greatest challenge and one of the probably funnest things to occur in the near future. Well, certainly this program has a lot of laurels it could rest on if it so chose 10,000 sites cleaned up all the work being done on solid waste and recycling, but it sounds like you're not willing to rest on laurels, always looking for continuous improvement. And that's the sort of thing that really benefits our state, not just in, in over the past eight years, but certainly in the years ahead. I look forward to it. I look forward to a 2018. I look forward to continue to inspire and energize my staff to achieve more. And again, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Well, Mark, we thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is your very busy schedule to spend a few minutes with us today here on Discover DEP. It's been very interesting to learn the broad portfolio that you have. It covers literally every square inch of the state in some way or, or the other. And to watch over the three plus years that I've been here, the job that you and your folks have done in some very sometimes challenging situations and, and some of them unprecedented in terms of the the challenge that is placed in a particular situation to see the way you all and, and all the people you work with have kind of wrestled these things to the ground and made it work and, and made the improvement that we hope for and expect here at DEP has been really, really impressive. So thank you so much for being here today and all the best in the year ahead. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.